Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... T! That's right, My brain right, hurts. Folks. I didn't think of anything else. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's right, folks. It is the uh, final episode of our series on the Celestial Seasonings and the group Urantia um, that inspired, question mark, their entire existence. Uh, I want to thank Paige for bringing this series because it has been nothing but just absolute banger jokes and really interesting shit. Um, and before we get into it, wanted to tell you, hey, if you want to help support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash cold podcast. Um, also, if you like this show, you should listen to Paige on Horror Virgin and Romancing the Pod. Yes. Two very good shows. Um, and if you like me and my goof ups you should listen to Rooster Teeth Podcast or RTP for short. Um, hey, look at that. We both have shows <laughs> called RTP. Yay. Oh, man. And yeah, I think that pretty much sums it all up. So without any further ado, let's hop into the show. Hello. 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 The first 20 minutes of this are us talking to each other. But it's fun, I promise. Yeah, you're going to love it. Okay, bye. Bye. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm, organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership, organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers, organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships, and organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always, these are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have T again. Oh. Uh, it's, it's the third one of those. Yeah, this is the, I, I am absolutely sure we've made this joke, but this is us spilling the tea. ha! <laughs> 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 Too much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry for the delay. I've been going through some uh, fucked up family shit and had yeah. to travel a bunch. Please don't DM me about it. Uh, I love you all, but it's not helpful. Yeah. Uh, One of my favorite things is Paige is going to all these places and I go like, ooh, are you doing comedy? Are you doing a fun vacation? And then she's like, it's actually the saddest story you've ever heard in your fucking life. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's like really fucked up. But we went to Bucky's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Bucky's <laughs> is a place that is very, I, I mean, it's a good place to cheer up. It's got all my favorite things. It's got sweet snacks, lots of meats, the cleanest bathrooms you've ever They're seen in your life. The cleanest bathrooms. We, as a as a family joke, Jake and I kept referring to it as bussies, uh, <laughs> waiting for people to correct us. Oh, yeah, bussy nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> They're so it sweet. Was, it was our second favorite joke of the trip. Our first favorite was uh, we, on the way back from the hospital at one point, we passed a building uh, called the Tyler Biker Church. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And Jake just turned to me and says, if you can read this, Jesus fell off. And we laughed for two days. <laughs> just like, you know, when things are so bad that you're just like, man, I just needed to laugh at anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were right before we were recording this episode, we were talking about Texas and you said, man, there's got to be something in the water. And all I said was, yeah, it's fucking rocks. <laughs> It's, it's water. It's filled. still hilarious. Fucking <laughs> uh, rocks. Oh man, but I love my limestone water. It's good. <laughs> Get all that extra calcium, maybe. Mm, yeah. Um, mm. I no longer have an iron deficiency. I'm iron efficient. If <laughs> Magneto is here, he could use my blood and water as as a weapon. Iron efficient. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, I, I am glad to finally come back and talk about this nonsense. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to. Uh, it was kind of out of my control <laughs> yeah. the last couple weeks. But we are back. We are excited to be back. I'm excited to talk more about Celestial Seasonings. And honestly, the more I, I've done this, it just makes me crave Celestial Seasonings. <laughs> like, I, I keep working on this outline and I'm like, Man, I would really fucking go for a cup of tea right now. Sure, I was yeah. like, wait, no, no. <laughs> oh, man. I realized that I've been gone so long, I haven't even been able to tell you about my Colorado trip. Um, yeah, you were in Colorado while I was, you know, uh, going through shit. Horrible shit. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, same, same, very equal. Same, same. Same thing, yeah. I, I mm-hmm. was in Colorado getting higher than uh, God's dick. Than Colorado, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was a mile high up in the sky. Woo, boy. Um, but I was doing some shows, and I got to meet some people. And uh, one of the people that I met, or uh, a couple uh, that I met, um, brought me a pack of uh, Celestial Seasonings tea and asked me if I would sign it. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever signed. This is It's awesome. from Colorado. We're going to talk about Colorado a lot today. Oh, yeah. I Ooh. found out that you can, that you can go visit uh, their location and go on a tour. And when you do, they give you a free box of tea. <gasps> Amazing. I Oh, speaking of things that you can visit, this came up in the Facebook group and this will come out Monday, which means that I have time for people to hear it and not do stupid things. Um, <laughs> Unarius is having their 70th anniversary in El Cajon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can it's a free event. You can go or you can attend on Zoom. If you choose to do that, please be cool. Just be nice. Dude, be like, so chill. Yeah, just be chill. Like, remember that it's basically an art club for creative adults who love fan fiction. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's, leave the, don't hassle them. If you want to attend and just uh, enjoy attending, please feel free to do so. But like, don't mess with them. I have visited them a handful of times and every single time they're super chill and super nice. So just like, I don't want to mess up their stuff. Let them have their fun party. Let them release the doves out of the car. I definitely mm-hmm. kind of want to go see that. Uh, but like, don't hassle them is all I'm saying. Is this okay for a refresher in case anyone forgot? Unarius is a group that believes that basically any story that ever existed is canon within our actual universe. Correct. Meaning that like Star all Wars. All fiction is stored memories. Yes. Star Trek. Uh yep others why can't i not think all of anything other star things yeah all of it exists um in tandem with our real life real reality um do you think 
it would be cool if you went dressed in cosplay. Do you think that they would be down with that? I feel like this is one of the few places that it would be fully acceptable and no one would think that was weird. I I feel like everyone would be down. Uh, So again, they're cool. Just be cool to them. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Like. You yeah, know. just it's 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 a uh, it's it's Comic Con the church. All right, yes. come on, dude, <laughs> just be super chill. Be chill. Oh, uh, they also, I if you if you are local and you do want to go in person, it's I think it's the seventeenth and eighteenth from one to three. You can find it on their Instagram. Uh, typically for events, because I have now been to some, they will wear Uriel's costumes. Mm-hmm to honor her and her crowns so it is kind of a fun weird spectacle in the middle of a parking lot in el cajon uh i do recommend at minimum it it's probably fun to watch on zoom if you got some time mm-hmm. uh but don't hassle them be nice to them yeah please. they're again they're just writing fucking low riders designed like their ufos wearing the coolest <laughs> clothes you've ever seen they kick yeah, ass how could, and if you're how could you not love them <laughs> If you're mean to them, I'll fucking beat you up, dude. All right? Yeah, dude. Yeah, they, be nice. They have the cult podcast protection. Yes. Um, yes. Oh, really quick. Before we get started, I have to tell you the other thing that happened. Uh, mm. So on January 27th, I uh, headlined at the Fallout Theater here in Austin. Uh-huh. Um, incredible show. We sold that motherfucker out. Yeah, uh, I had so much fun. I thought I was gonna do thirty minutes. I fucked around and did fifty minutes. Old boy, <laughs> good did times. I, yeah, I had a blast. But I met somebody there who is a fan of Colt Podcast who uh, made me a gift um, and was like, "I wanted to ship it to you, but I didn't think it would like be okay to ship, and so I just mm. figured I would bring it to you here." Uh, it is a reclaimed bong. Um, reclaimed which, from where? Yeah, that was my first question because when you say reclaimed, <laughs> it sounds like you're trying to say a stolen bong. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> like I found it at Goodwill and I've reclaimed <laughs> it and given it to you. I assume that's not what they mean. No, it's an upcycled. It used to be um, a whiskey bottle. Uh, oh, and now it is a bong. And uh, honestly, the glasswork on it is really good, and I'm very impressed. Um, but they also decided to use uh, some kind of like glass marker or paint or something to draw some designs on it. Oh, um, nice. And apparently this was a commission that they had been working on uh, a long time ago, years ago, um, that never panned out. And so now they decided, actually, this design would be perfect for Colt Podcast. So I'm going to finish it up, add the Colt Podcast logo, which they did with my the face, The fact that you face. haven't told me what design it is is making me concerned. <laughs> it's my face, your face, and Andrea's face, and it says Colt Podcast, and then the rest okay. of it is the design. Um, the design is for of the largest uh serial mascots you got you got uh tony the tiger tony the tiger you got the lucky. tricks rabbit lucky's the on there rabbit and captain dig crunch. frog oh, oh captain crunch. okay dig em would have been good but i think it's too hey captain crunch though he's a captain yeah he outranks dig em frog exactly so, okay. lieutenant dig em <laughs> yeah, l- lieutenant dig em 
<laughs> he fought in Vietnam, goddammit. Put some respect on his name. He's, he's a four-star lily pad general. Um, anyway, okay. uh, it also features one other person. Um, so the design is these four serial mascots absolutely gang-banging the fuck out of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Dude, I'm not kidding. Okay, give me one second. I'm going to go grab this for you. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, whoo, You know what? Creativity. That's all I got to say. <laughs> okay, so you can kind of see here. Oh, this might okay. be hard to see. You can see. Oh, yeah, it's kind of. Okay, I see us. Us. Okay. And then uh, here is Adolf Hitler. Getting fucking, you can see the tricks rabbit absolutely going gangbusters on his mouth. Tony the Tiger hitting it from the back, hitting it from behind. As Captain, the Captain Crunch saluting, and Lucky the Leprechaun are yanking their dicks. Watch, <laughs> waiting their turns. Uh, oh my god! Ooh! Oh yikes! I Oops! Have... All berries. <laughs> I hope they just they remembered to use fuck mustard. Um, oh my god! Uh, oh, they busted honey bunches of loads, dude. It was insane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 I mean, just look at the tricks rabbit. He's about to pops, dude. All right, okay. I'm so sorry. Um, I love this. I need to state that I love this gift so much. I think it is. It's great. <laughs> my holy god holy. holy shit i love this i love this i love all of the jokes surrounding it i uh definitely have already used it um i think it's fantastic um i did show this to my partner who told me and i quote if we ever live together you cannot this needs to be hidden this needs to be like not even put in the garage, not put in a closet. We have to make a secret panel in which it can be hidden so no one will ever see it. Well, that's like I think I talked about my accidental swastika quilt on the show before. <laughs> yep. So uh, when we moved into the house, my parents, every time they come to visit, have been bringing stuff from their garage that like now it lives in your garage. Uh, and so the last time they were here a few weeks ago, they brought the quilt and they were like, oh, we brought your quilt. And I was like, the swastika one. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's not. Sw it's no, it's a pattern. And then I had to like unfurl it. And they were like, oh, oh, wow. Ooh. Um, we hadn't looked at it in a while. Yeah. Um, God, is that the tricks rabbit? Oh, <laughs> it looks pretty mind comfy. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so that and now we've had to have people like over watching the cats and stuff. And I, every time I like hide it, so I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I definitely didn't intend for it to be a swastika, but I don't want to leave it out because then I can't explain it to people. Anyway, can I can I tell you from experience uh, as sure. somebody who owns a lot of things with swastikas on them? That's, you've been gifted many swastikas. I have been given a lot of swastikas and a lot of white supremacy <laughs> memorabilia. 
I, because we take them down frequently yes. and we love to talk about how dumb they are. Yeah, absolutely. Bits aside, it's because we talk about how fucking stupid they are. But I also, at one point, we mentioned that if, you, if you're if you thinking of white supremacists, uh, or when I think of think white of supremacy, think of Armando Torres. Yeah, Torres. Jesus Christ. And so people send me all this stuff and I have to tell you, I think it's actually worse if you hide it. <laughs> Because and then they find because it. somebody's gonna find a swastika of like it and be like, oh my god, what oh the my fuck god, is she into? oh my god, I never knew, oh my god, Paige Wesley was a huge fucking Nazi, <laughs> huge oh Nazi. no, oh no, yeah, Look. the same way that if if they find my little what looks to be a shrine to white supremacy, they're gonna be like, oh my god, what the oh. fuck? No Ar- wonder he moved to Texas. <laughs> Armando was the biggest racist. I mean that literally. He was the He's tallest like six five. <laughs> I'll have you know that that quilt won third place at a quilt show before anyone saying anything <laughs> about it being a swastika. So I wasn't the only one that didn't notice it originally. Oh my god! Or the judges are into some weird stuff. Hold on. Do you want to see it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> god oh my god yeah it's like it's so clearly that's what they are <laughs> right so many people didn't my my grandmother literally was like yeah and then sew this together and this together because it's just like it's it's a log cabin pattern that's just rearranged is all it is and oh. uh like i assembled the whole thing and she was like looks good and then we like entered it <laughs> her local quilt guild and they were like third place Great job, nine and a half year old Paige. Because there is a thing on the back that says I was nine and a half. And, oh my God, uh, you were nine. Nine. Uh, and then it like it, it got returned to us. It sat at our house forever until Ooh. I I don't remember who was the first one to be like, hey, is that a fucking swastika? And I was like, what? No. Oh shit. Oh no. <laughs> And now it lives in my house. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. Paige, I'm crying. <laughs> it's a lot, right? Like it's 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 a lot. Oh my god, it's so funny cuz when you okay, cuz when you look at it, it's so clearly swastikas. But I can also see how it wasn't meant to be swastikas. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh my god, that's so fucking And funny. if you're not, like, here's the thing. If I didn't tell you, hey, it's swastikas, it's a mixed bag as to whether or not people see the swastika immediately. Because, like, my parents were like, it's not swastikas. And then I held, I was like, it's swastikas. And they were like, oh my god, it's swastikas. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's one of those things that, like, you call attention to it and then people are like, oh no. <laughs> Oh. oh, yeah. Oh, that's so fucking funny. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Okay. It's, it's been a long catch up time. Sorry. It's been a weird couple weeks of our lives. And yeah. If you can read this, Jesus fell off. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> are you ready to talk about fucking celestial seasoning? Absolutely. Speaking of swastikas. Uh, so. <laughs> Let's hit them with the sources right out the gate. We've got the burned over district, the social and intellectual history of 
enthusiastic religion in Western New York, 1800 to 1850 by Whitney R. Cross. We have the Urantia book, author debatable. Listen to our last episode. Uh, we have the Secret Doctrine by Helena Blavatsky. We have the Passing of the Great Race by Madison Grant. We have the Michael Foundation Incorporated versus Urantia Foundation versus Harry McMullen III. We will get to that court case today. We also have Urantia Foundation versus Kristen Mahara. We'll get to that court case today. We have Urantia.org and the Urantia Foundation's website. We have Urantia, the Great Cult Mystery by Prometheus or published by Prometheus Books, written by Martin Gardner. Uh, we have God Talk Travels in Spiritual America by Brad Gooch. We're going to talk about Gardner and Gooch today. Uh, we have The Origin and Evolution of Religion by Edward Washburn Hopkins uh, from Yale University Press. Uh, and then we have a really fun article uh, that I found, uh, two actually. We have a biography on all-American speakers for Mo Siegel, uh, which is a website where you get to hire people to speak at conventions and shit. And then we have an article called Colorado Country Boy Finds a Revelation written by Mo Siegel himself uh, for a website called Truth Book, quote, <laughs> find Jesus in the Urantia book. Uh, and we will dig into that a little bit more as we go. But those are our sources. Now, a brief recap. I know it's been a couple weeks. We're back at it. But just in case you don't remember, uh, William Sadler comes up through the Kellogg eugenics pipeline to make up a religion that somebody may have slept talked while we discovered fuck mustard, our perfect business plan. Uh, <laughs> he then died of old age in 1969, right before his book got hella popular uh, because of the Jesus movement, the counterculture movement, any number of things. A lot of people pick up this book. It becomes posthumously much more famous. Um and here's where we meet Mo Siegel, because that's where we left off, uh, is that in 1969, he would also pick up the Urantia book. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about his life and what we know of it. Now, I had to go digging to find his biography, because there's a million and a half little corporate blurbs, and they fall into one of two camps, either if you find them on like a Urantia based website, they very much emphasize his spirituality and like thirst for knowledge. Or if you find them on a like business website, that's like, Hey, have the celestial seasonings guy come talk at your next company meeting. Huh. Uh, it's all tea, no Urantia at all. They don't even mention it. So it's kind of this one thing where you're like, how do these things mix? <laughs> like, mm. is one of them true? Is one of them a lie? Or is it, is it all mixed in? Which is when I stumbled on the Truth Book website, which is a wild website that largely seeks to, like, if you're a Christian and interested in the Urantia book, the website seeks to be like, hey, we can be friends by, like, biographies of different people who are into Urantia, but also Christian adjacent somehow, uh, and drawing parallels between the Bible and the Urantia book. But it's on this website that I found a full, like, article biography that Mo Siegel wrote about himself. Oh. Now, oddly enough, most of the time, when we find a biography that somebody wrote about themselves... You take it with a grain of salt because it's usually them being like, and this is when I knew that I could hear the angels. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, that's not the case. This like 
of all of the biographies I've read, which was way too many, this one made the most sense. Where like seeing it written out and him explaining just like his life, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that fits. That makes sense. All of that makes sense to me. Uh, so that's going to be one of our primary sources for his life is what he has said in that article. If you want to read it, go to truthbook.com. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you should, especially because truthbook sounds like what my Christian relatives call Facebook when they were trying. Truthbook? Yeah. Or because... if you're on like Trump's Facebook or whatever, the yes. truth social. That's yeah. that's what I'm saying. Truthbook sounds like where they're like, you know, they won't. The, the doctors won't let me vaccinate. But I went on the truthbook uh, to some of my truthbook groups and they said it was a-okay to never vaccinate my kids who are now uh, dying of measles. Oh, no. I also think it would be fun to have a truth book website where you just post books that you like wish were true, where it's like <laughs> this week on truth book, Jurassic Park. <laughs> like, this is, like could be true. This is just you. That's your unarius dot com. That's what you've described. <laughs> I think it's unarius dot org. I don't know. I follow them on Instagram. It's a good time. Um <laughs> According to Mo, uh, he was born in Chicago, November 21st, 1950, the youngest of three total children. Um, his parents were kind of unique, or at least the way he wrote about them, it suggested this. But uh, his father was Jewish, but didn't necessarily practice. And his mom was Protestant and also didn't really practice. Uh, they were just kind of a vaguely spiritual family. Uh, and according to him, his parents loved each other very deeply. Um, they had both kind of grown up in the big city and they wanted something different for their kids. So they moved the year Mo was born. They moved to a dairy farm in a mountain pass just outside of Boulder, Colorado. However, they were at 9,000 feet elevation, which was not good for cows. Uh, so... They gave up on the dairy farm and moved to Palmer Lake, Colorado, which is a small mountain town at about 7,000 feet elevation uh, where they had like a small garden, stuff, but it wasn't like the big ranch. It was just kind of a house. So unfortunately, their happiness would be short lived because when Mo was two, his mother was tragically killed in a drunk driving accident. She was killed by a drunk driver, to clarify. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, leaving his father to raise three children alone uh, in the late 50s, early 60s. So potentially to honor his mother or just because it was his dad's vibe, uh, his dad raised them in what I would call like a spiritual environment, like not any one religion, but like they would go out into the forest to pray mm. uh, just to kind of be like marvel at nature and stuff. Um, so they had kind of spiritual elements around them growing up, but no like structured religion. They didn't attend church or synagogue. They just kind of went out into the forest and were like, isn't the world kind of beautiful and take from that what spiritual investment you will. Which kind of honestly kind of rocks. That kind of kicks ass. Yeah, I mean, you could do way worse is what I'm saying. Yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> I was getting so ready for this to be one of the saddest stories we've ever done. And you were like, no, no actually, he just went outside of nature and like basically was microdosing uh, being yeah, a cool a guy. And, and here's the thing. 
are there things that I'm going to disagree with uh, with Mr. Siegel? Of course, we will get to them. But reading this and kind of finding out more about his life, I was like, I kind of get why you're into this book. I still don't agree, uh, but like I kind of get it. And it humanized him a bit for me, but we'll continue anyway. It also uh, sets up this thing that I feel like, I don't know, maybe it'll come into play with the book, but like he's taking parts of religion yes. that he likes as a child and like sort of learning that that's okay like you don't have to take the thing wholesale which is maybe good uh if you get obsessed with the book that also includes like how white people are kind of the coolest to ever do it we'll get into that in a little bit uh but oh. yes th that's okay so taking things piecemeal is very much his thing uh because what he basically says is that as a kid, he had kind of a general general curiosity around religion. And you have to remember, he's growing up in the 50s and 60s in America where they still prayed in school and stuff. So, like, he was definitely exposed to Christianity as a societal norm because that's how America be um, at the time, especially. So... He's curious about religion, uh, and he's also coming of age during the counterculture movement and the Jesus movement. And so a lot of people around him are seeking new religious beliefs and approaching them with a, a an attitude of taking them piecemeal. So that's very much what he's growing up in, what he's enmeshed in. Uh, now, his father, because his father kind of let them choose their own adventure religion-wise, um, allowed him to go to a Catholic prep school. There was actually a boarding school uh, that shared grounds with a monastery. So basically the school and the monastery, same building. He went there for two years, basically his junior and senior year. And this is a weird tidbit of his life that gets either wildly overstated when you talk to Urantia people because they're just like, clearly he was a spiritual seeker, uh, but it gets completely left out of any of the tea stuff, mm -hmm. uh, which is really interesting. Um, but it was something that I found on the Urantia Foundation's website. And I was like, when did this happen? Like, where does this fit in? It's his last two years of high school. So he... And, and admittedly enters those two years as an agnostic. He was not Catholic when he attended. He didn't intend to become Catholic. He was just curious. And I think it was also probably just a good school, like private boarding school tend to uh, academically also usually be good. Um, so he used this time to dig through a bunch of different writings to talk to his teachers at length about different things that he believed. And he graduates, and by the time he graduates, uh, he considers himself a Christian, however, not tied to any one denomination, and he was kind of piecemealing what Christianity meant to him. And one of the big things that he kind of grapples with at this time is he's also super into science, just in general. Uh, and he finds some personal friction in the places where Christianity and science aren't friends, uh, particularly Charles Darwin. He gets very obsessed with Charles Darwin. He believes in evolution uh, and believes in evolution as a part of Christianity, which I don't think is that crazy. It's, it's one of the things that like, in my life, I have decided that I don't care how the world was made. Uh, but I think that 
explaining that as like God started evolution and therefore it proceeded is f- I see no issue. Uh, but some people do. So yeah, like that's me. where he. I have an starts. issue. I didn't come sure. from no monkey. All right, I was put here. God <laughs> made right. me. God made that's me. Fine. God made me in His six foot five, awesome image. There you go. That's great. Uh, I. I also I I used to tell a joke about this and it did not go over well because people get very touchy about this subject. (laughs) But I treat the origin of Earth and the species the way I treat my car. Like, I don't care who at Honda made it. I just need it to drive. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't even know what's under the hood, but does it take me to the store? Great. Like, that's how I feel about it. Sure. And it's okay for other people to feel other ways. I'm not judging. This is just where I have personally arrived. I think, jokes aside, that the uh, the sticking with the creationism stuff in terms of, like, using it to deny science and a lot of stuff, I don't really fuck with. I think that's kind of dumb and weird. I'll tell you the one thing I do like about the creationist uh, stuff, though, is that the way that they describe Eden and when, like, the Earth was made sounds like it would be the perfect thing to airbrush on the side of a kick-ass van. So that's oh, that pretty does awesome. Sound yeah. That sounds lit. I, I have no problem with with believing in creationism as long as you're not hurting other people with it. That's where I land. Because I also understand the desire to believe that someone crafted you and placed you on earth. And I do feel like there is some relationship to how we got here. I don't, I am not comfortable with a random explanation. If that makes sense. You could also have the explanation of like, uh, evolution exists. All of science is true. And God set it in motion. Like you can, those two things can work together. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I also feel like it, it, at least in my experience, sometimes when you talk to creationists, And you're like, well, how do you explain like how things have changed over like animals have changed over time? They're like, well, obviously selective breeding. Like we know that's true. And I was like, that's evolution. That's what you're talking about. That's evolution. Yeah. No, I in my experience, there are a lot of creationists that believe like 80 percent of evolution. And they're just like, not the monkey part. Uh, (laughs) But but honestly, I'm like. Maybe it wasn't. I wasn't there. I don't know. Look, anyway, it's not important. This is, we're not here to litigate. <laughs> I know. I know I was joking before about like, I didn't come from no monkey, but I don't I know if you from s- no monkey. I watch videos of monkeys and I'm like, I'm I for too. sure. I'm fascinated by them. For sure. I came from monkeys, dude. Like me more than other people, I think, because they do shit. And I'm like, that's fucking hilarious, dude. It's that's wild. awesome. I, <laughs> I am fascinated, fascinated by watching monkeys and being like, we do kind of do that. Uh, or there is a documentary about uh, they found a monkey burial ground. Mm. And I like immediately at like two in the morning was like texting Bobby about it. Being like, is this monkey burial ground real? Because like people like it, pe- they, they thought that people were the only animals that like bury people or whatever. But then maybe these monkeys did. I don't, I don't even remember what he said about it because it was two in the morning and I watched too many documentaries. Anyway, none of this is important to the story. Sure. <laughs> but he he lands on that he believes in both Christianity and evolution, which, again, I think is possible. C.S. Lewis did, too. Deal with it. Uh, So <laughs> it, it puts him at odds with 
some other Christians, because if there's one thing Christians love, it's differing beliefs. Hey, I say that as one. We can poke fun at ourselves sometimes. Um, yeah, does not necessarily getting along, but it means that it kind of puts him more in line with some of the more alternative counterculture religious beliefs floating around at this time. And he's clearly a person who is interested and invested in different belief systems. Um, now, uh, at this time also, though, he's super into Darwin. And one thing you got to know about Darwin is that, like, he's most famous for his evolutionary theories. Uh, but those theories and writings have contributed heavily to, one guess, Racism? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well. Eugenics, yeah. Tool of the greater. Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. Um, And and again, not everyone who believes in evolution is a eugenicist. I would say it's, you know, those are two separate things that people believe separately. This dude might be. We'll get to it in a bit. But, like, allegedly, he, you know, we'll talk about it. I feel like there's a... A, a weird type of eugenics that I think most people who believe it don't consider eugenics, but kind of is. And we'll talk about it at the end because that's where I land on this. So uh, following graduation, uh, most other corporate biographies, including the one he wrote, kind of follow the same path. So he was a lifelong tea drinker, mm-hmm. uh, but specifically as as a dude into weird stuff at the time. And I don't mean weird as in weird. I mean, at the time it was uncommon, uh, but he was, you know, looking at other religions, looking at a lot of other things. Uh, so he really enjoyed exotic teas from Asia. Now, I know all tea is pretty much from Asia. I get it. I get it. I mean, flavor wise. Because he wasn't necessarily drinking like black or Earl Grey teas that like most Americans or British people drank at the time. He's drinking green teas or spiced tea, like all these other things like oolongs that are just starting to really catch on in the U.S. They've been around, but it's not super popular yet. Uh, But because this is after the war and a lot of people who'd been in in the Pacific for the war brought tea back, uh, there's also an overall interest in Eastern culture and religion at this time. It's starting to catch on. But along with that culture and religion comes the concept of an herbal tea. Now, there is something that Mo is credited with that we have to kind of put an asterisk with. I'll explain. Most tea is made from a specific family of tea plants and is therefore naturally caffeinated. Uh, However, many cultural groups over time have steeped herbs in the same way they steep teas, either for health or religious properties, uh, often referred to as like tinctures or decoctions or other names, but essentially what we would call modern day herbal tea. Herbal tea doesn't necessarily have tea in it. That's the dividing line. But it's herbs steeped in the same way we steep tea. Now, Mo is kind of a health food herbal medicine kind of guy and kind of grew up that way, it seems, um, which is a growing trend at the time as well. Now, at this point, A lot of the stories have him working in and they call it by a bunch of different things. Some people say it's a cafe. Some people say it's a tea room. Other people say it's a health food store. I think it's some sort of cafe that has a health food store attached to it. Kind of like a yellow deli situation. 
yeah, or something okay. where it's like there's like a store there like a you know granola cracker barrel something you know <laughs> something like that uh um, yeah a wasa barrel yeah anyway a place where tea could be bought and sold um and because Mo is an experienced outdoorsman and he's 19, so his body hasn't failed him yet. Uh, he <laughs> goes hiking around and picks up wild herbs and herbs from his garden, dried them, and sold them in tea bags as his herbal tea under the name Mo's 36 in the store. Uh, I don't know if there's 36 herbs and spices or what, but it was a big hit. Uh, and I, being an herbal tea kind of bitch, vibes with that so it becomes one of the most popular teas in the shop despite not really being tea but people really liked it because they considered it was they they believed it was healthier because herbs uh but also it didn't have caffeine so that appealed to people as well because they had kind of the feel of tea and kind of the taste of tea without actually having the caffeination in it now it does pretty well, and so Mo and his best friend and the woman who would become his future wife, who he is still married to, by the way. They've been wow. married for like 40-plus years. Yeah. Uh, they hop into a car, and they drive back and forth across the Rocky Mountains, compiling herbs, picking herbs, drying them, and stuffing them into tea bags, and selling them out of the trunk of their car like the weirdest drugs ever. Yeah, that is the most Grateful Dead fucking pregame I've ever heard of. Right? <laughs> but also, like, I can't tell you how pleasantly surprised I would be to have someone try to sell me something out of a trunk and for it to be tea and not a mixtape or real <laughs> drugs. I would be like, that sounds lovely. Thank you. The only time I can think of something better than this is when I was living in Los Angeles and there was another comedian who was like, hey, you want to come to the car real quick? I got something in the trunk to show you. And I was like, okay, I bet it's going to be alcohol. Right. And then he lifted up the trunk and it was a camping gas stone burner and he was making a traditional North African dish in his what? trunk. Who yeah. was this? What? I don't even remember their name, if I'm being honest with you. They were just a random open micer that I was like, yeah, dude, I'll eat this shit. Hell and it yeah. was so good. I'm sure it was amazing. The yeah. only time I've ever been dragged out to a car to get something with another comedian, I ended up getting a shirt that said sex, drugs and jokes, uh, <laughs> which I still have somewhere in my house. I've been meaning to like cut it and tie dye it and whatever. And I just keep forgetting I have it. But I feel like I know whose merch that is. It is one specific guy's merch and his name is on it. <laughs> so. Yeah. OK. Then I know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Anyway. So. uh it's around this same time that they're traveling, selling tea out of the trunk that according to Moe's biography that he wrote a girlfriend. Now, I don't know if this is dating girlfriend or just friend that is girl. It does not mm. define. Uh, but a girlfriend gave him the copy of a copy of the Urantia book, basically being like, you're into weird religious shit. Check this shit out. And a bunch of his friends were also reading it at the time. So they were like all reading it. And according to his own biography, he initially thought that the book was kind of ridiculous uh, and viewed it as kind of Bible fan fiction. But he does eventually <laughs> sit down to read it. And he says that he came away inspired by it. He has said in interviews that he doesn't really care who wrote it or how it came about. He still finds it inspiring, which to me 
comforted me a little bit, but there's some troubling things later. So um, knowing about how this book came to be, as we have discussed over the last two episodes, plus his fascination with Darwin and potentially some light eugenics, although he very carefully avoids talking about those parts of the book. Uh, but that plus the investment in the Jesus story, because you'll remember that one of the largest portions of the Urantia book is basically Jesus without miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, just a biography. Uh, I can see why someone like Mo Siegel would get into this, right? Um, but he also gets something else from it. Magical thinking. Because remember... Blavatskyism has a little bit of its fingerprints across the Urantia book. So basically, he girl bosses from this book. It's the secret. It's white girl crystal shit. And (laughs) after reading the book, he's like, I want to take my passion for tea and level it the fuck up. So they start making multiple different blends of tea and they start selling it. Uh, first out of the trunk, but then in retailers and health food stores across the company. And Celestial Seasonings was born. There's debates about where they get the name. Uh, They said that they named it after the celestial beings that maybe inspired the Urantia book. That's one explanation. The other explanation being that one of their group of friends, because the group kind of grows as they travel uh, to like four or five people, and one of their flower names, because they were all hippies, uh, was Celestia. And maybe that's where the name came from. I think the Urantia explanation makes a lot more sense because that's kind of the impotence for him to make it into a business. Um, now, the rest, as far as the company goes, is kind of boring. He sells the tea. People like the tea. More and more people like the tea. Craft buys it. Corporate buyout. Then tea, 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 more tea, all the tea, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Sleepy Time Tea becomes the number one tea in the United States. It is one of the most popular teas in the country. But again, it is a corporatized food product. Uh, This is not the same as like buying Dianetics. (laughs) And like, you know, it's if you're buying tea, some of it's going to go to Mo Siegel because he's an executive. But it's the same as like buying something off Amazon. Some of that's going to go to Bezos. So, yeah, even though it is what it is. He might be back on it. Also, really quick, I just wanted to share a piece of information that I found out recently is that I went to school with a child whose name was uh, Pinecone. Their Yeah, their birth name was Pinecone. Um, and this person is, at least to my knowledge, now like an executive vice president at like Viacom or some shit. Um, was still with their name? Did they change their name or did they keep They did it? not change their name as far as I I'm aware. Either. I wouldn't yeah. either. Because do you know how many pine cones you know? Just the fucking one. Just the fucking one. And then all the ones on the floor that I step on. But yeah, other than that, not really any. Um, anyway, I think that's sick. I think, uh, I think that star names and flower child names are so funny. And uh, I love seeing somebody with one of those names just fucking making it in the... Just going full corporate shark. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, a lot of oh, people man. did after the after the seventies. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially so a lot many. of the flower children themselves. I just meant that, yeah. like, I, I like the child of a hippie becoming just everything they fought against. I think that's so funny. <laughs> I do think that's hilarious. Anyway, so celestial seasonings goes on to be the mo- the giant, you know, monolith that it is today. Uh, but let's get back to the Urantia book because. 
Mo gets really into it. They found the company. Uh, and he then serves various roles in the Urantia Foundation. Currently, he is one of the trustees for the foundation. Uh, and he claims to still hold Urantia study groups outside of work. Now, if you remember, back in the first episode, I told you that the Urantia Foundation don't do much. And that is true. Um, it really doesn't. The foundation exists almost exclusively to publish and maintain copyrights for the book uh, and to support people who want to study and talk about it. They don't recruit. They do take donations if you want, uh, but they're not forcing people to give donations. It's purely whatever. It's They're basically the equivalent of, of Unarius, but the story is less fun. Um, it's basically vaguely racist, eugenics, alien Jesus fan fiction with a website. Uh, now. About that maintaining the copyright part. The first version of the Urantia book, as we know it today, was published in 1955. That's kind of where we left off in the last episode when we talked about it. Uh, now, it did have a fair amount of scrutiny. We've briefly mentioned Gardner and Gooch, uh, who believe it was either partially or completely plagiarized. Also, I, uh, I left out one little tidbit of Gardner's book from the last time, but I would love to share it to you now. I got distracted by the fuck, fuck mustard, but I have to mm -hmm. tell you about it now. Uh, so they believe it's partially or completely plagiarized and partially or completely written by Sadler. However, Gardner poses an additional theory uh, that he published and I've held on to till now. He posits in his book that the sleeping man does exist and was possibly Wilfred Kellogg. <laughs> what? Yes. Uh, now, Gooch thinks it was all the Foundation members. I still think that's the most likely explanation that it's just a bunch of friends writing random things. However, Wilfred Kellogg was a eugenicist and also super into health food, but also a Seventh-day Adventist. So it's very possible that if he talked in his sleep, he might have said something similar to a lot of what end up, ends up in this book that uh, Sadler then kind of distills. So yeah. call that theory number four, I guess. And I don't know if you've seen my bong, but the Kellogg's be getting up to some shit, dude. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that, dude. Wild. Oh, manifest. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, that's what it is it's a festive man it's, it's a, a manifest and and also one tiger uh now <laughs> the book and a rabbit and you know how they'd be fucking uh the book is routinely funded and published by the foundation mm -hmm. for about 36 years despite gardner and gooch's complaints because nobody really cares right like it's this random spiritualism book that it's like believe it or don't it's up to you but these people publish it until 1991 now to set the stage, it's 1991. Mo Siegel is currently one of the most successful health food dudes in the country and also serving on the board of trustees, but also serving on the board for Celestial Seasonings and kind of building up his resume as corporate health food guy. Uh, I would like to read briefly um, one of his comments, if I can find it. Uh, but he had a comment on one of his... Uh, it was like a LinkedIn post or a bio and it was, oh, here we go. Found it. My business values are that companies should consciously serve their stakeholders while making a profit. Making money is not enough. So yes, as much as he is uh granola tea man believes in spiritual stuff, he's also like bottom line though. So <laughs> 
So That's, he's one of those flower childs that became like a corporate man. A hundred percent. Now, a woman named Kristen Mahara uh, from one of the court cases above in our sources, you might have recognized. Uh, she attempts to digitize the Urantia book in 1991, by the way. This is way ahead of the curve. Uh, and she does it and burns copies onto floppy disks to give away free copies or she would print it out for people and give away free copies. I would call her a well-intentioned fan maybe. Um, mm-hmm. It's unclear why she did this other than to just get the the book into the hands of more people. Here's the problem with this though. As I mentioned, the Uranti Foundation doesn't recruit. They don't have a compound. They do take donations, but not a ton of people donate to them. They make like 98% of their money from the sales of the book. So they take her to court. But Wait. initially. <laughs> okay. So the, okay. So the, the people publishing someone else's book right. that was mostly made up of other people's writing right or right or slept talk by fucking kellogg himself (laughs) right they are getting mad that somebody is publishing that book Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in 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 unbelievable that is okay all right i'm on (laughs) board now uh i i think most of the jury felt like you did because initially she wins um Because if there's no author, there can't be a copyright. Uh, That's awesome. That rocks. Now, the Urandi Foundation does appeal, and eventually they win their copyright back. Or do they? Because that's not the end of their issues. In 1999, Harry McMullen III and the Michael Foundation publish a different book called Jesus, A New Revelation, which includes 78, or no, I'm sorry, 76 of the 196 essays included in the Urantia book. Uh, okay, all right. Obviously, this made Urantia angry. Um, because... All right, okay. I, don't... <laughs> I know, I know. You don't I get know. to be mad about I plagiarism. And, and here's the thing. Mo Siegel stays out of this, pretty sure. much. Uh, not really involved. Because, again, he's like, I don't really care who wrote the book. Um, Now, in court, they attempt to get a legal ruling that the Urantia Foundation's U.S. copyright, the copyright outside of the U.S. is a different story, but within the U.S., uh, they ruled, they, they tried to argue that it was either invalid or that it had not been infringed upon. Um, they held that the copyright had expired in 1983 because that's when Gardner and Gooch and others basically published works implying that it was either a composite work or uh, like, but it was maybe plagiarized, but it was deemed to have been neither a composite or commissioned work for hire. Meaning there's no like author claiming it uh, because it's anonymous. And those arguments kind of get rejected. However, the U.S. court argues that because the sleeping subject, the guy who essentially dreamed the religion, uh, the court referred to that person as the conduit, um, died prior to 1983 when the copyright expired, which means that the conduit's heirs would have been eligible to renew the copyright in 1983. But since they had not done so, the Urantia Foundation's copyright on the book had expired and passed into the public domain. Now, they do appeal this, uh, 
but they lose. Uh, and in 2006, the international copyright on the Urantia book completely expired. They actually list this on their website as well. Um, now, there's a couple reasons for this. Obviously, let's say there is a conduit, right? Like, let's say everything William Sadler said is true and a guy slept, talked to religion. He never told people who that conduit was. So they couldn't even let their descendants or next of kin know that they could renew the copyright uh, because they don't know who it is. But if that person's fake, then in order to argue that that person shouldn't have the copyright, they'd have to admit that the conduit is fake. Mm -hmm. And no one's going to do that, right? Mm -hmm. But that basically invalidates their copyright. So... All that to say, the Urantia Foundation still publishes almost 100% of the texts of the Urantia book on the market, uh, but it meant that they could not sue Harry McMullen and the Michael Foundation over their completely other book that plagiarizes their book, Jesus, A New Revelation. Um, so they still publish most of the books. If you buy a copy of the Urantia book, they do probably get the money from it, at least in part. Um but technically, you can plagiarize it as much as you want. They can't really do anything. It's public domain. But um, all that to say, you're probably okay to buy the tea. It doesn't contribute to the book, which means it doesn't really contribute to the foundation. Um, Mo obviously does make money off the tea because, you know, CEO and shit. Uh, but let's talk about eugenics uh, just for a second to, to end on eugenics. Um, in early days, Celestial Seasonings would post quotes from the Urantia book on some of the tea bags, and they conspicuously avoided any of the ones about race and eugenics. Um, some people have taken that to mean a couple different things. Some people believe that Mo Siegel doesn't believe in those parts of the book, mm -hmm. and that is possible. Like, given his life story and the way he kind of seems to take religion piecemeal, that is possible. Personally, I think it's still a little a little touchy because like there's a lot of races. <laughs> it's I mean, it's eugenics. <laughs> like you can't Yeah. However, on the flip side, because he really likes Darwin, because he likes the Urantia book and seems to kind of publicly talk about how he likes it, other people have maybe implied that maybe allegedly, big allegedly, huge allegedly. He holds some eugenicist beliefs. Now, I will say that I think the truth is somewhere in between, where I think he probably thinks some of the more extreme eugenics beliefs in the book are out of line and out of date and extreme, but I feel like there is an argument to be made that the health industry as a whole stems from some eugenic thought. Now, again, I, if you like health food, if you like organic, I'm not saying you're a eugenicist, but here's what I will say. Health is not a guarantee. Health is not always accessible to everyone. And eating organic or fancy health foods is definitely not accessible to everyone. And if you get to a point where you view yourself as better than other people because of your access to health, that then becomes a eugenics problem. That's where it becomes an issue. You know, if you are like, I've chosen these healthy things for myself and people who don't choose that are lower than me or should deserve punishment or should be changed to fit the way I believe, 
that's where it becomes a problem. And Mo Siegel has talked a couple times about how he believes that a lot of diseases could be cured by curing some of the bad parts of society. And that is a very vague statement, which could mm-hmm. mean, hey, if we got together and improved some of our community functions, improved healthcare access and things like that, that would just improve a lot of things and get rid of some diseases. That's true. And I wouldn't say that there's any eugenicist thought in that. But I would say that if you start to make value judgments based on people's access to health or choice to live in a certain way as opposed to another, then you get into some murky eugenicist beliefs. This is a awful weapon that you have handed me for my life page. Just a loaded gun where anytime anyone in my life ever goes, hey, you should probably eat better. Racist? Racist. (laughs) I mean, here's what I will say. I feel like your friends probably care about you and that is probably coming from a place of care. However, you oh, those have- racists, they do, they want me to stop ordering DoorDash so much. Those fucking those racists. I, I mean, call them if you're having diarrhea all the time, I might be like, maybe you don't eat as much cheese. But here's the <laughs> you thing. want me to stop shitting myself. Racist racist. Uh, it is your body and you do get to choose what happens to it. Mm-hmm. You live in it. Right. And and here's the thing. There are people with, you know, different abilities or diseases or things that are going to prevent them from accessing health, no matter how much they want to or whatever. And their lives still have worth as much as worth as everyone else. And so that's the tricky part of them being like, well, you know, health would do this and get rid of all these problems. And it's like, are those problems or people? Because like, that's a different conversation, but this can very easily get into the murky granola area of, uh, like colloidal silver cures autism. Like that's the crazy end of that spectrum. Right. You know? So that that's where I'm like, "Eh, murky, but yeah, you could probably still buy the tea. It's probably fine. (laughs) I feel like a really easy way to separate it is there's a difference between saying, I wish everyone on earth could be healthy and we should only have healthy people on earth right exactly exactly yeah like yeah yeah if you if if, i truly wish everyone had the ability to have the choices to make you know to pick whatever they want and also i should say that i do have the option to pick healthier foods and live a healthier life i choose to live like this and Ah! that's your choice that's your choice yeah i i also feel like You should examine if you are someone who feels like you are in a place to give health advice to other people. uh, I would say as you're considering doing that, examine whether or not that is coming from a place of bias. Uh, And, you know, like I can't tell you how many people have told me like, hey, you should eat or do a certain thing. And it's like, first of all, you're not my doctor. (laughs) And secondly, did you go to the guy smoking a cigarette and tell him how to live his life? Because I feel like maybe you're just doing this to fat people Uh, like that, like just examine your motivations for it and where it's coming from. Uh, And if someone tells you, hey, please stop suggesting things like that to me, respect them. It's their life. They get to choose. Uh, But anyway, that's where we land on Celestial Seasonings. Wow. This is great. Anytime anyone tells me that I have to eat healthier, I'm going to call them a racist and then I'm going <laughs> to claim that it's because they want to keep my underwear white <laughs> because my problem is that I shit myself all the time. Um, Tidy whitey power. 
<laughs> well, that's awesome. Oh, don't hold up the blanket. Come on. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I'm fighting it by holding up Adolf just getting fucking railed, dude. Oh, man. I think the worst part is that there, I don't know if you can see it, uh, but on his on Adolf's back is a bowl of cereal that looks like <laughs> it's, it's splashing, and I don't want to know what fell into the cereal bowl. I think it's just splashing from the motion of the ocean. <laughs> oh, God. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us uh, in this episode. I had so much fun. Paige, thank you for this. <laughs> yes. I had a fun, too. It was great. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Hey, I'm Armando Torres, obviously. You've been listening to me be a, a goofy idiot uh, for the whole episode. And uh, if you want to listen to me be a goofy idiot on a different place, you can go listen to the Rooster Teeth podcast. That's RTP. You can go to thertpodcast.com. Um, and you could also go to our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash at Rooster Teeth podcast. You can also find us on any podcast platform. Uh, but we've been making some extra content like recently, a coworker of ours. Um, and when I say recently, I mean, this was last year, (laughs) (laughs) a coworker of ours, uh, planned a pool party where they did not invite myself or friend of this show, Blaine Gibson, Blurn Gerbson, Blurn Gerbergol. And so, uh, in what they did do though, was they asked Blaine and myself if we would pick them up from the dentist after getting their wisdom teeth taken out and being put under. Um, and so we decided to form a quiz where all of the questions were like, do you, does your apartment have a pool? interesting and basically tortured our friend uh and it's so hilarious and my favorite part of the video is that after it was done after i edited it and after i showed it to this person i showed it to my coworker blizz uh and he went when did you film this where did you get this footage (laughs) did not remember it in the slightest it is so good go check it out it's a great time and the show is really fun too uh i think you're gonna like it and hey Guess what, Los Angeles? I'm coming back to you for a week. This is also Paige learning this at the same time. Um, I will be visiting in February, and I have one show in Los Angeles on February 27th. Um, uh, the high note. Uh, I will post information on my Instagram because at this time, I forgot where the place is. And so... <laughs> By the time uh, this episode comes out, I will probably have posted about it. But yeah, that's February 27th, which I believe is a Thursday. Um, and yeah, you're gonna, you should come out. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a fun show. It's uh, My friends put it on, and you're going to have a blast. Um, and yeah, I think if you want to follow me on social media, you can. It's at Mondo Does Stuff, M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff, all one word. And that's on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Twitch, all that good stuff. That's it. I've been talking for too long. Goodbye, good night, and good fucking luck. I will be in Las Vegas during that time. No! I'm so sorry. God, no! I'm so sorry. Oh, so close. Do you want to stay in my guest so room, far. though? I'm <laughs> staying in be- your... I'll stay in your whole fucking house. I'm sleeping with Jake, all right? <laughs> <We're> <laughs> I, mean, I can't stop up. you. If you consent, please, though. Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> I uh, will be posting upcoming shows. The main one I have is I am battling for the California Cup uh, for Roast Battle February 22nd at Jam in the Van. Uh, so if you want to see it, uh, tickets will be announced in the next couple days. They sell out very, 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 very fast. So if you want to see it, keep an eye on my Instagram. You could follow me on Instagram at Rampage Wesley. Same with TikTok or on Twitter at Paige Wesley. You can also listen to Horror Virgin and Romancing the Pod every week. Uh, we've got new episodes out. And I love you so much. Bye. Yeah. And hey, if you want to follow our show on Instagram, you can at Colt Podcast. Or at Colt Podcast Show on Twitter. You can also send us an email to coltpodcastshow at gmail.com. Or if you want to send us boxes of tea that's not celestial seasoning so we could drink other things, please do that. You could send those to 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237, like, like the, shining. the Shining, Los Angeles, California, 90065. Hell yeah. Or if you want to send us more bongs with different people fucking <laughs> other monsters. different people fucking other horrible people. You can send those to that same address. And I think for this one, I'm going to say don't drink the tea uh, mm. and don't drink the Kool-Aid. Uh, bye. Bye. Yeah. Yeah.